Now, if you were here last week, you might remember we thought about a hypothetical situation where a young man had been removed from one family, a difficult family, a dysfunctional and a damaging place, and he had been placed in a new one. And he was happy in the new family over here. There was a love that was unconditional, there was consistency and security and safety and warmth and fun. And yet in the past, in the old days, he had been in a different kind of family. A family where there may have been some fun, but it was damaging. Painful, wrong. He was caught up in all kinds of stuff that he ought not to have been. And yet the family over here, the old one, have started to get in contact with him again in his new family. There have been emails and texts and voicemails and missed calls and they say, come back and join us. Do you remember the kind of fun we used to have? Do you remember that you belong here with us? Do you remember the, the genuinely good times we have? Why don't you come back? Back to be the person that you were when you were born. And of course we said this wasn't really a story about families. This, if you're a Christian here this evening, is your story. Your story of changing families from the flesh, from the, the sinful self, the selfish self, we said. And moving across to being God's family, the family of your heavenly father. And yet as the contact comes in, we're tempted. With the texts and the voicemails and the emails, we want to go back to old ways again. We want to live for self again. The phone goes and our ears prick up. Times it's hard, isn't it? And we ask, is it worth it? Is it worth being a part of this new family? And yet, it's more than that. Our passage tonight will show us it's not just a battle of, well, why don't you go back to the old way of doing things? What about if being in this new family, God's family, brings with it hard stuff, brings with it suffering? What if we have God's Spirit living in us, Paul has said, but... That brings a battle, temptations, difficulties. The battle to live with hope in a world that's broken. Where there are things like cancer and where people do things that are wrong. And the battle that we feel like we're missing out when everybody else is joining in. What if we're the odd one out? And we think, is it worth it, Paul? And he says, yes. Paul's claim in our verses for this evening is initially that the future glory we will receive then outweighs the stress and the difficulties of the now. And then he gives us three reasons to back that up. Three different things that we can call on. Three, three groanings, he says. They start off broad and expansive and then they go down. And then they're very individual at the end. So there's a groaning, do you see, in verse 22? There's the groaning of all creation, Paul says. Then in verse 23, the groaning of the church of Christians. And then in verse 26, God's Spirit living in us, groaning as he intercedes for us. So firstly then, let's look at the claim in verse 17 and 18. 
His, his claim, remember, is that the glory then outweighs the suffering now. When you're tempted to give in, remember the glory that's to come. Verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you remember the big if? If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. If you've been here um, through our series in Romans since September, you might remember that glory word. It's come up at various key points, various key moments through the letter. Um, There was the glory in chapter 1 that we exchanged as we walked out on God and we worshipped worthless idols. 1 verse 23. The glory that we were meant to reflect of God was shattered because we started chasing after other gods. And so then in chapter 3, that famous verse, 3 verse 23, the glory that we now all fall short of because of our sin. We are not like God anymore. And yet Paul says here, we have this glory to come. The glory that will be restored. The glory for the future. He says it's the glory we were made for. It's the glory that we forfeited when we walked out on God. And his image was shattered. And it's here in verse 18 at the start of this section... And we'll see it again with Peter next week in verse 30 at the end of this section. Glory bookending these verses. True glory to come. But until then, Paul says it's hard. Life is hard. We're in a new family now. We have a new father now. There's this unconditional love and this consistency and it is good But this is not it. We go through struggles now too. And he says, compared to what's to come though, it will be worth it. And we say to Paul, okay Paul, prove it. Convince me Paul, convince me of what you've said. And Paul says, okay, well take a step back from your troubles, from the pain, because they can seem so enormous. When you're in the midst of it, when you're in the thick of suffering, you can't really think straight. But have a look with me, Paul says from up here. Come and see the big picture about suffering. Come and see why you should persevere. So these three groanings. The first one is there in verses 19 to 22. He says, persevere because you're in a groaning creation that longs for the glory to be revealed. These headings are quite long, so I've put them on the screen. But persevere because you are in a groaning creation that longs for the glory to be revealed. Verse 19, for the creation waits in eager anticipation, sorry, expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So he says, creation groans. But it is a hopeful groaning. It's a groaning that longs for the future, that knows there is more to come. He, he describes it in verse 22 as if it's like childbirth. It's, it's not a groaning as if it's in the death throes of a broken creation. It's, it's not the groaning of a mourner, It's the groaning of a mother 
The groaning of a mother who, who longs for the restored and renewed creation. It's, it's birth pangs groaning, particularly appropriate for Mother's Day. All of creation waiting in eager anticipation. As if the universe is there, it's on tiptoes, it's breathless, it's binoculars pressed up to its eyes, looking ahead. Looking ahead to what's to come and what it's meant to be. Watching, waiting, longing. And do you see what it's watching and waiting, longing for? For the children of God to be revealed. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are God's children now. We saw that last week back in verse 16, for example. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So we're part of this great new family now, present tense. But it means that the reality of that will only be seen in the future, in the time to come. In a sense, the true nature of the children of God are are veiled now. People don't see it. One day it will be plain. And all of creation is waiting for that day. Expectant, longing, hopeful. And why does it matter so much? Why the binoculars pressed as they are? Well, because on that day, when the new creation is revealed, so the pain of the old will be gone. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. And it will one day be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So, as our first parents walked out on God in the garden, so we're confronted with sin and with sadness and with frustration and futility and death and decay. And you switch on the news and you see that. Every single day living in a broken world, and it breaks our hearts. Creation is broken. There's the futility of living in a world like that. Now we must be clear, it's not as if the world, the physical world, in and of itself, is wrong. It has not always been like that, and it will not always be like that. At times we can drift towards that thinking, but it's not. God made it good. The world is Good, but it is broken. And that is why we see the problems we do. Have a listen um, to a new book from a a pastor called Tim Keller. He's writing primarily about work. Uh, But he says this, he says, We acknowledge that the world is good. It is not the temporary theatre for our individual salvation stories after which we go to live disembodied lives in a different dimension. Now, this world is the forerunner of the new heavens and the new earth, which will be purified, restored and enhanced at the renewal of all things. We as Christians can be those who most appreciate the world because we know who made it. We know what it's here for. We know where it's going. But as well, we can be those who most feel the pain because we know it's not meant to be this way. It's not right. Think of the, um, the book of Ecclesiastes, if you, if you ever read it in the Old Testament. You see it there in glorious technicolour. If you're honest, it's quite a depressing book. The writer says, whatever your endeavour, 
It will end in death. You will meet the grave finally. And so what's the point? Make the most of the now. Because death is inevitable. There is a certainty. Is it really worth it? Everything is meaningless. It's misty. It's vapour. It's temporal. Is there any hope? And Paul would say yes. I take it he would say yes firstly because the resurrection has happened and death has been conquered. But yes, particularly too, because there is a day when this frustration will be gone because the new creation will be here. There's a real hope. And creation didn't choose it, verse 20. It didn't choose for it to be like this. God did. God did. But he did it. Do you notice that? He did it in hope but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That is, in the light of a certain future, he subjected it. Because of the freedom and liberation to come, there was the curse. Remember, hope in the Bible is not how we often use hope. Hope is not wishful thinking and and fingers crossed and touch wood and all that kind of stuff. That's what the world says hope is. Hope is certainty built on past reality. Hope is because of the resurrection. We know Jesus will come back. And the sceptics of his day laughed when he said he would be raised from the dead. But he was. And the sceptics of our day laugh when we say Jesus will come back. But he will. Creation longs for that day the day when the children of God will be revealed. And and yet it's still hard, isn't it? I suspect most people in this room, if not all, will know something of the futility of life, of being part of this creation. We have Monday mornings which are hard. And yet we have hope. Now we miss it slightly here in an evening, but in the mornings at Morden Road Church, Cresh is growing. There have been babies that have arrived. There's little Miriam Langley. There's Amy Blanche, who was here not so long ago. Maybe some of the midwives among us can help. But it seems to me what the midwife doesn't do during labour is walk around the room and say, this is just a big mistake. What have you done? How did you find yourself here? You should never have had this baby in the first place. It is not right for a woman to be going through this kind of pain. I don't think that's what the midwives do. It's not in my experience. The midwife will say again and again, think of the baby. It will be worth it. Think of the joy. She says, trust me, I've seen it many times. You won't remember this much. It will be worth it. And she's right, because when that little bundle snuggles up to you, you would say that the sufferings don't compare to the glory of a new child. It is worth it in the end, the midwife says. And so Paul says, this is pain with a purpose. This is groaning, but it is hopeful. And then he zooms in a bit. And he says, persevere, secondly, 
Because you're in a groaning church that longs for the glory to be revealed. Verse 23 to 25. So within this groaning creation, we narrow it down to the groaning church. But it groans for a slightly different reason from the rest of the world. Again, it seems to me, it is hopeful groaning. It's there in verse 23. We groan because of God's Spirit living in us. The first fruits. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves, you have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we need to be slightly careful. This does not mean that we have a bit of the Spirit now and we'll have more to come then. Some Christians have taken it that way. I think that's unhelpful. As if we have the first fruits now, a little bit, and then we will have fullness in the future. I think the first fruits is much more about the taster now that promises much more to come then. So, I feel a slight fraud in a room like this where I know a number of you are excellent bakers, but um, it seems to me one of the best things about making chocolate cake is the chance to lick the bowl out before you finish. To lick the spatula, to lick the wooden spoon, to lick the kind of whisk bits. There it is possible. Anything that might get wasted, it's delicious and you long for more and it goes in the oven and it begins to cook and it wafts through the house and you're, you're salivating and you're dying for some chocolate cake. But apparently you must wait. It needs time to cook. Don't dip your finger in it when it's just come out of the oven. You'll ruin it. Wait for it to cool. And so in some ways, Christians, we're given this taste of the first fruits of God's Spirit. And we want more. And there is more to come, but we need patience. So our groan isn't the groan of doubt or grumbling or complaining. Although sadly we are good at that. The groaning here seems to be a groan that wants more. It's the cry given by the spirit of adoption that longs for more. It's the cry that says, come Lord Jesus... It's the cry as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. It is worth it, he says, because of what's to come. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you remember we talked a bit about mindsets. We talked about the way that we think because of who that we now are. God says you're in this new family and you've got a new way of thinking. Okay, Think like that. Which means that we ask the what about me questions far less. They're less frequent. It's less of the, well, why don't you listen to me? Why don't you care about me? What's in this for me? And it's much more about you. And how can I love you? And how can I care for you? And how can I serve you? Because that's the kind of mindset we have now. But the key aspect here of our groan is this new body. This body that we will be redeemed. So no longer, do you remember 7 verse 24? No longer do we have a body that is subject to death. But we will have this new body that will come. Waiting for full and final redemption. Waiting for complete adoption in some way. And so we have hope. But what does it mean? 
What does it mean for us this week? What does that look like at ground level? As you go about doing your stuff, what does it mean for you tomorrow in your body? I take it it means patient endurance. Verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It means that we don't have everything now. It means that we endure patiently. I think of the everyday normal Christian experience. For me, I take it for you, who will struggle with sin this week. The phone calls come in from our previous family and they are alluring and tempting. And too often we listen. We long for bodies that do not veer away from God, that aren't tempted by the old way, the old family. Or I think of Christian friends at the moment, I'm just off the top of my head, who are struggling in some way, whose bodies are broken. A friend who's recently had an operation had to have large parts of their intestines removed. Think of a friend who's been diagnosed with cancer and is undergoing chemo. Think of a friend whose memory is going and increasingly struggles with the short-term stuff. Think of somebody whose body is and will bit by bit by bit be affected by multiple sclerosis. Think of an older couple who have been unable to have children for their whole life and she's been recently diagnosed with Parkinson's. And no doubt you can bring people to mind. People who are struggling in these bodies. These are brothers and sisters who are groaning. Groaning hopefully. Longing for perfected bodies. Bodies that do not decay and break. And so we need to patiently endure and press on. Remembering the hope to which we're called, verse 24, because we don't have it already. So Paul says, big picture, creation grows. Medium picture, the church is groaning. Now let's get personal. He says, persevere... Because you have God's groaning spirit who longs for the glory to be revealed. Verse 26 and 27. It's, it's almost as if it's a, an echocardiogram in the hospital and he zooms in on the heart of every believer and says, here's what's going on. This is it. Verse 26. In the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray for. But the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we don't know what we ought to pray for, he says, or better, how to pray as we ought. So what are you saying, Paul? Why do we persevere? What does it mean that the Spirit helps us in that way? Well, I take it he's not talking about actually the the specifics of prayer. God can do that, but I think here... He's rather talking about the general direction, the dynamics of praying in this world, in these bodies now. His Spirit teaching us what to pray for, how to pray. One writer said this, he says, Only by the Spirit do we know how to pray, your kingdom come, and have the confidence that his kingdom will come. Only by the Spirit do we know that the pain of a messed up world is labour pain rather than death throes. Only by the Spirit can we really pray in confident hope for a new creation 
and for the redemption of our bodies. If it were not for God's Spirit in us, teaching us the kind of stuff we ought to pray for in our weakness, then we would not know how to pray. And yet it seems to me that the wonderful thing, beneath our groanings, there is this extraordinary thing, there is the groaning of God praying to God. Do you see that there? The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He intercedes to himself for us. That's mind-blowing and mind-boggling and, and we're just kind of grabbing at the Trinity. God is praying for you. His Spirit is interceding for you. And so the bottom line is, we might be sure that the pain of our present suffering is outweighed by future glory. We might be sure that it's worth it and we can persevere because God is praying to himself for his people. And because it's the Spirit praying to the Father in heaven, he will answer. Because you've got the Father and the Spirit talking about you, there's no possibility of a communication breakdown. There's no possibility of him not listening. And so Paul says, press on. Confidently press on. Be encouraged. Keep going. Be hopeful. You might feel like you're on your own. And you might be tempted to wave the white flag or just to get a little bit quieter. Be a bit less keen as a Christian. Take things a little less seriously. But God is helping you to keep going because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God so it's hard to be a Christian it's hard because the phone keeps going off and because our old family long for us to listen to live their way again but it's hard too because it involves suffering now And when we say, I'm just not sure it's really worth it. I'm just not convinced that this marathon is worth it. Paul says, keep going. The glory then outweighs the suffering now. It won't be forever. It's a glory that all of creation is longing for. It's a glory that we as the church long for because we're in these bodies and there's this battle going on. And it's the glory even that God's spirit in us longs for and intercedes for us to keep us pressing on. So keep going, he says. It is worth it.